if I hadn't believed all those things for all those years, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now because I wouldn't have gotten into all of the messes that I got into and feel so passionate about helping other women to not go there or to get out of them themselves. So I wish that I had had more of a sense of self, but I also recognize that this was my path. Hi, I'm Agrita Dandrao and welcome to Mindful of Everything, the podcast that cultivates a space for socially and environmentally conscious minds, actively striving to achieve greater ecological and community healing for a safer and healthier planet. In today's episode, I had a very transparent and open conversation with Leia Carey, a sex and intimacy coach and host of the Good Girls Talk About Sex podcast, where women from all races, genders, sexualities and backgrounds talk of Leia about their sexual journeys entirely anonymously. Leia's past struggles in denouncing misogynistic stereotypes on sexual exploration and embodiment of her sexual energy is what has motivated her to aid other women in embracing their sexualities. This episode addresses multiple issues that women often face when it comes to sexual relationships and acts as encouragement for women to actively engage in discourse around the importance of sex-positive romantic relationships and taking full control of their own bodies. Although this conversation revolves around heterosexual sex issues, particularly due to the need for misogynistic power dynamics to be addressed in heterosexual relationships. Issues discussed in this episode are applicable to all women in all sexual and romantic relationships. So, Leah, how did you come about to be a sexuality coach? And have you always been very comfortable in talking about sex and sexuality in general? Actually, exactly the opposite. I spent most of my life being very repressed around sex. Um, Yeah. I grew up in a home where uh, my father was inappropriate with me sexually. He was um, an alcoholic who was emotionally abusive. And all of that, um, it was really confusing. So when I say he was inappropriate, he would, you know, talk to me about my body, talk sexually about my body. He would talk to me about his sex life with my mom um, and how unhappy he was with it. He would speak to other women sexually in front of me who were not my mother. So there was a lot of sexual energy flying around in our house. At the same time, he was telling me, starting around the time that I was about 11, that I was getting fat and ugly and no one would ever love me. Um, And he was also telling me that he was going to lock me in my room until I was 30 and break the kneecaps of any boy who ever showed interest in me. No way. So all of that put together left me completely confused. Yeah who I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to show up in the world. So 
instead of trying to sort through that as a teenager and a young woman, I just shut it all down. (laughs) I was like, you know, I'm, I, it just didn't feel safe to date Mm -hmm. or to get involved. I got a little bit older. I finally had my first serious boyfriend and my first sexual relationship at age 25. And I started choosing partners who were like my dad, who were emotionally abusive, who were inappropriate in various ways. So that continued this feeling for me of I'm not good enough. I don't deserve to have sexual partners or romantic partners who treat me well or who care about my pleasure. Yeah. It wasn't until I was 42 years old that I finally decided this is so painful. I mean, I was single most of my life because being in relationships was so awful. Yeah. And I desperately wanted to be in a good relationship. I wanted to have companionship and touch and love. So finally at age 42, a a bunch of things happened in my life that brought me to a moment where I was able to take an extended road trip around the United States. I was on the road for about six months. And during that time, I started exploring my sexuality. It was like I needed to leave everything behind yeah, in order to finally be able to see myself as something new and different than what I'd been told my whole life. Um, at that point, both of my parents had passed away. So that like also left me free to explore myself anew. And so it's really only been in these last four or five years that I have finally discovered that there is this person inside me who's allowed to be sexual who's allowed to see myself as attractive to other people, who's allowed to participate in this part of the world that I always thought was closed to me. And it turns out that I happen to have a good facility for talking about it and sharing about it. And the more that I shared, people started asking me their own questions. And so that's how I ended up in this role as sort of like a guide and advisor to other people who are wanting to explore their sexuality and their um, their capability for intimacy that maybe they haven't explored before. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I know that your podcast gives that platform to women to be anonymous and also talk about their sexual experiences, their sex life right now. So do you think that your podcast has really helped a lot of women that perhaps wouldn't have talked about these things come Mm -hmm. forward and be accepting of their bodies and also not be afraid to talk about their experiences? Yeah, so that's exactly why I started the podcast, to have these conversations. So first of all, I should say, the podcast is called Good Girls Talk About Sex. Yeah. Um, And it comes very much from my background as feeling like I was a good girl and I wasn't Mm -hmm. allowed to talk about sex. And so like, now it's time to turn that on its head. And I interview women about their sex lives. Like you said, the responses that I get from the listeners are that they've never heard conversations like these before Mm -hmm. and that it allows them to explore parts of themselves that they have never felt like they had permission to explore before. Um, You know, I frequently hear that people feel more liberated after, um, after listening or that they're exploring parts of their 
sexuality with their partner that they've never felt comfortable before, or they're having conversations about sex that they've never had before. And all of those are exactly the reason that I started the podcast because I was that person who couldn't talk about it and who was scared to bring it up. And I find so much freedom now in having these conversations. I want other people to feel that same freedom. Exactly. Of being able to talk about it and hear other people talk about it. And my favorite thing is when somebody has been listening to the podcast for a little while and then, you know, contacts me and says, I want to do a conversation with you now. Like I've gotten so much out of it that now I want to be brave and talk about my own sex life. So that's the best. (laughs) That's amazing. It's like you've created a small community and everyone is just so comfortable in talking about their bodies and sex and anything that they felt uncomfortable about talking to like people in their lives, friends, family. I mean, that's very, thank you for saying that. That is absolutely my goal. And Part of what I think allows that to happen is that most of the people who do the podcast do it anonymously. Mm-hmm. So either they're using a fake name or they're just using their first name. All of my graphics show just their eye. So you get a little bit of a sense of who, yeah. you know, somebody's age and, and skin tone and all of that kind of thing. But because they're anonymous, they can be really free to tell all of the truth. Why do you think? so many women refrain from talking about sex in the first place and are just not comfortable in talking about either their sexual needs or any problems that they have in their sex lives despite it being the 21st century and most people are very much open to talk about sex or anything related to it so yeah why do you think that is the case that so many women are still feeling uncomfortable to talk about sex and their bodies yeah It's a big question, and there are a lot of answers, Um, but I'll try to sort of focus in on two that I think are the the biggest issues. One is that we live in a very sex-negative culture. Now, people might hear me say that and think, but we see sex on TV all the times. We see advertisements all the times that feature sex, but we are only seeing one very particular version of sex. You know, think about a um, a perfume commercial, for instance. Mm-hmm. What we see is a very thin, very beautiful, very white woman mm-hmm. who has men often sort of hoarding around her. Our concept of sex in this culture, the, the sex that is being sold to us through all of our media is very thin, very beautiful, very white, and very young. So anybody who is not all of those things begins to feel like I'm not the person who sex is for. I'm not going to have any interest. No one's going to pay attention to me. And I'm not allowed to want to have interest because that's no longer appropriate for me. So true. So when I say sex negative, what I mean is that if we don't fit into this one teeny tiny box, that honestly, if we did a survey of all of the, let's just say all of the women in this call in this culture, we might find, you know, 0.1% of them actually fit into that very thin, very beautiful, very white, very young box yeah. all at the same time, which means what the rest of us are supposed to not ever have needs or desires. That's bonkers. 
But that's what advertising and media has sold to us, which is why so, I mean, I talk to so many women who say, nobody's ever going to want me. I have an extra, you know, I'm overweight or nobody's ever going to want me. I'm over 40. Let me tell you, I am over 40. I am overweight. I am carrying probably about 40 extra pounds right now. In the last four years, I have gotten more sexual interest than I have my entire life because I made myself available for it. Exactly. I'm not thinner. I'm not younger. (laughs) I'm not any more white than I was. And I'm not (laughs) any more beautiful than I was four years ago. In fact, I'm older and heavier than I was four years ago. And yet I'm getting more interest than I ever have before. So that's one issue is sort of this tiny little box that we say, these are the people who are allowed to have interest. Yeah. Um, the other piece of why I think that people don't talk about it is because we have, again, our popular media and culture sells us this narrative of what the normal, quote unquote, normal sex life looks like. Mm-hmm. It's one man and one woman who are married probably, or at least who are in a committed relationship, who have missionary sex, you know, missionary position sex once a week, you know, like, even if they're not specifically saying those words to us, there is a, a very common narrative about what the quote unquote normal sex life looks like. There are plenty of people who have that quote unquote normal looking sex life, but there are also so many people who don't whether it's because a woman has a higher sex drive than she thinks she's quote unquote supposed to. Yeah. Or they've been in a sexless marriage since the kids were born. Mm-hmm. Or um a single woman who is enjoying being single and is having lots of sex, hopefully not during the COVID lockdown. But but, um, people who are involved in kink or other kinds of quote unquote non-normative sex, these people all fall outside of that sort of very normal box. And we're all so afraid that if we say, this is what I'm into, or this is what I want, or my husband and I aren't having sex. You know, I love going out and having one night stands. We're afraid that people are going to judge us. We're so afraid of being judged that we avoid talking about it at all. So we live in a society that tells us we're not really allowed to have sex unless we look one very particular way. And we're afraid that if we do have sex, we're not doing it the quote unquote normal way. And therefore, we just don't talk about it because we're all so afraid. And what I find in the work that I'm doing, whether I'm, you know, doing a podcast episode with someone who shares a story that other people are like, oh my God, me too. Or I'm doing group coaching where one of the women tells, um, talks about something going on in her sex life and the other women in the circle say, oh my God, me too. These are the conversations we need to be having because it allows us to know that we're not alone. Not only are we not alone in the world, we're probably not even alone in you know the community we're in. And we're probably not alone in the, yeah. you know, the group of six people we're sitting with. There's so much commonality 
if we're just brave enough to, you know, to crack that surface ice. So essentially it's all about self-confidence and also forgetting the sort of sexist stereotypes people have about women and how they explore their bodies. Mm. And both of those things are very challenging. Yeah. You know, it's it's great to go online onto Instagram and see posts of people who are, you know, flaunting their liberation yeah. and saying, you should do this too. You should just be more confident. That's not how it works. No. It takes some time. It takes some practice. It is a journey. I am five years into this journey and I am still learning every single day. I'm still growing and practicing and learning new things and learning new ways every day. So you talk about, of course, sexual freedom a lot in your podcast or just as a person. How do you get about people like who support pro-life whilst preaching about sexual freedom? Um, We are part of a very great community um she podcasts and you mentioned that somebody gave a bad review because they are a pro-life supporter so how do you get about those sort of hurdles when you're talking about sex in general yeah so I just got my first one star podcast review and I'm very (laughs) proud of it (laughs) (laughs) because I I'm assuming it's a woman I don't know that for sure um but I'm just going to use she because that's my assumption. Um, She said that she's gotten so much out of the podcast. She feels so much liberation. She's able to talk about sex new in a new way now. And she was really disappointed to find out that I was pro-choice and that I donated some proceeds from my Patreon to pro-choice organizations. And therefore she gave me a one-star review. So first of all, I'm really pleased that my morals are showing up. (laughs) 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 Like that's important to me Um, because that's very much a part of who I am in the world. And I think, so first of all, to that person and anybody who is thinking like her, who's like, I want to be sexually liberated, but I also think that women's bodies should be controlled. I would say that those two things are not separate. When you really believe in bodily autonomy, sovereignty of ourselves over our bodies, body liberation, that doesn't just mean inside the bedroom during the time you're having sex. That means all of the time. We are allowed to, we should be allowed to have sovereignty over our bodies and what our bodies do and what our bodies accomplish at all times. As to your specific question about how I deal with when pro-life people show up. Honestly, it doesn't happen that often. I think that um, people who are who are nervous about sex don't show up. Yeah. <laughs> um, that may change, you know, as as I get a higher profile, it may be that people will show up specifically to troll me. And, you know, I'm I'm ready for that at whatever point it happens. But in the case of this particular person, the way I feel is that we're each on our growth and healing journey at whatever point we're on it. And we can't be any further ahead than we are. Like that's just, you know, you can't be anywhere different than where you are. So if this person has gotten to the point of listening to the podcast and feeling like I've really gotten so much out of it, and I'm having better conversations, and I'm having better sex, that is the point that they're at. If that hasn't yet rolled over into their understanding about 
bodily autonomy and sovereignty and all of that in terms of being able to make their own choices about procreation, I don't want to shame them for where they are. I want to support them in the fact that they're making strides forward. Mm -hmm. And at some point, hopefully, they'll get over this next big hump too. But I, I have never felt like shaming people was a useful way to get anyone to change their mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, so yes, I want people who are anti-choice to hurry up and catch up. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, if you're listening to the podcast and you're getting something out of it, great. Keep listening because maybe at some point you'll get the next piece too. Yeah. I just love how positive you are about practically everything. Like oh. that's, that's exactly what we need right now. Thanks. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about actually birth control and the sorts of birth control that are available mm. to women. I personally find it very difficult to gain proper knowledge on the types of birth control available. The only information that I've actually gained um, is from the internet. And a lot of the time, the stuff on the internet doesn't feel correct. So what do you think we can do to make more women like me who know exactly how to go about getting birth control in a safe manner. Yeah. So um, let me just be upfront and say birth control is not one of my specific knowledge areas. Um, So I'm not an appropriate person to teach on this. But there are definitely organizations that are invested in putting out good information. Um, I'm not sure what they are in the UK, but I can tell you that in the US, Planned Parenthood is one of the top organizations. Mm -hmm. So their website is a great place to get information. If you're in the US and can go to a Planned Parenthood, they can help you get the information you need. There are some other websites like, I think it's called Scarlet Magazine, but I'm not positive, that is directed at teens and young adults and specifically around sex and sexuality. And that is a great place for to get information. Do you sometimes think that we don't have enough conversations about birth control, especially because birth control is something that women take on? I don't even think there's a pill out yet for male yes. congestion. Like, it's it's very sad, but I mean, it's something that women have to think about as soon as they start getting sexually active. So again, it's just break, all about breaking into that conversation and just feeling safe about talking about the choices that you make in terms of your body. Yeah, I wish it were easier to talk about. Again, it falls under that umbrella of things that feel taboo. Because it brings up conversation about birth control means that you're necessarily going to be talking about your sexual activity or lack thereof, which some people find embarrassing that, you know, you're at a certain age and haven't gotten sexually active yet. Let me tell you, if you're hearing this, you are not alone. (laughs) You are completely normal. It's not a problem. But talking about birth control is also going to almost certainly bring up a conversation about your period. And, Mm -hmm. And sex and periods are two very difficult conversations for people to have. And so, yeah, just having a conversation with your friends may feel really intimidating. As to what you said about women being responsible for most of birth control, what the hell? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> short of, yes, men can wear condoms, 
I have some feelings about that. Specifically, I'm, I think condoms are great. That's what I use um, with my partner. Yeah. But there are issues with sometimes men taking condoms off intentionally mm-hmm. in the middle of sex. And if you've had that experience, you should know that that is a case of assault. You haven't consented to that activity. And if it's happening non-consensually, then that is assault. Coming back to birth control with men, really the the only full opportunity for men is vasectomies. And yet there is this idea that if men have a vasectomy, this is a cultural narrative. It has no basis in reality. But if men get a vasectomy, then they're losing their manhood or losing their virility. And they're also afraid of the surgery, which is kind of amusing given that if the women go in to get a tubal ligation, it is a much more involved, invasive surgery. Mm -hmm. So yes, I have a lot of feelings about birth control based on gender. It would be lovely if as women, we were not the ones who are constantly on the stick for this. On the other hand, it is our bodies. You know, we are the ones who get pregnant. Yeah. So if we really are invested in our own sexual health, then we do need to be really involved in our contraceptive choices. What would you say to women that haven't had sex yet? Or have been in a romantic relationship and feel pressured to meet society's expectations of when you should be sexually active. What would you say to those women? Yeah. Um, So I actually talked to a fair number of women who have not had sex Mm -hmm. mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s. And every one of them thinks that they are the only one. They think that they are the weirdo. There's something wrong with them, every single one. And I told you, I myself didn't have sex until I was 25. And I very much felt like the weirdo. In fact, when I did have sex, it was in a bad relationship that I knew I shouldn't be in. But I, the, the story that I said to myself was, I no longer want to be the world's oldest living virgin. <laughs> And so I'm going to get into this relationship and have sex so that I've had that experience. It was a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. I feel like most women just think of it like that. Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And so if you are listening to this and you have not yet had sex, you are not alone. There is nothing wrong with you. You get to make choices that feel good to you. There's a whole range of sexual desire. We have an assumption that everyone has a base level of sexual desire that is, again, quote unquote, normal. That's not necessarily true. There is a portion of our population that fall on the asexual spectrum, meaning they have little to no sexual desire. And that's okay. It is not required that you have sexual desire in order to be a fully functioning, quote unquote, normal adult human being. If you do have sexual desire, but you haven't had sex yet, totally okay. You get to decide when it's right for you. There may be people who will put pressure on you or who will laugh or whatever, the thing to remember is that they've probably had some bad sex in their life. And 
are they really asking you to go ahead and you know, it's sort of like hazing, you know, well, I went through it, yeah. so you should have to go through it yeah. too. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. That's so horrible. <laughs> you wait until you're ready. And when you're ready, awesome. Do it, have fun. And another thing, just because you've waited until you're, say in my case, 25, that doesn't mean that you necessarily are doing that because you have religious restrictions. Like we need to decouple this idea that waiting to have sex is the same as waiting until marriage. They do not need to be the same thing at all. You just get to wait until you're ready. Um, I've often been faced with this racist stereotype that because I am Indian or a South Asian girl, I will refrain from engaging in any sort of sexual activity because my parents restrict me, my culture restricts me, etc. So many people actually, it sounds weird, but they don't want to take that step. Even like the initial steps of a relationship, I feel that has been the case for so many different um, people that I've been interested in. So I think just letting people know that this is just your personal choice and it doesn't have to be dictated by your cultural and religious beliefs in any way. It's just so important to get that across to people. Yeah. Yeah. And I also want to say that regardless of whether you're having sex or not, you still have a relationship with your sexuality. This is something that I'm actually trying to find someone to be on the podcast who is in their 20s and has not yet had sex. And I've had a few people who have said, yeah, I may be interested. And then after thinking about it, have said, oh, maybe, maybe I can't do that. Maybe I'm a little too embarrassed. Maybe I'm not ready. Because there is this shame around being you know, an adult and not having had sex yet. Um, what I'm constantly saying to people is just because you haven't had sex yet doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with who you are as a sexual being. You haven't maybe manifested that with another person in the room yet, but you still have feelings about yourself as a sexual human being. You still have questions about yourself as a sexual human being. You still maybe have explored yourself as a sexual human being, masturbation, porn, vibrators, all of that stuff, reading erotica, all of that is available to you as someone who has not yet had intercourse. You are still a sexual person, even if you haven't had sex. That was actually the next question I wanted to ask you. (laughs) So yeah, you don't necessarily need to have sex to understand your sexuality and where you are kind of at in terms of the sexual spectrum that we have. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the question about, or the conversation about asexuality, if you don't have any sexual interest, that's okay. You don't need to push yourself to have sexual interest. I feel like in a sex-driven society, that's very difficult for asexuals to, you know, feel like they're not um, alienated from other sexual beings. Mm -hmm. I kind of lie in that spectrum in the sense that I think I'm a demisexual, so demi-heterosexual, where I feel like I am only really Mm -hmm. sexually attracted to those I've created a very strong bond with that is something that people don't understand or they feel like it's not a proper sexuality yeah but you know we just need to be 
respectful of the fact that not everybody is going to, like you said, fit that normal category when it comes to sex and sexuality. Yeah, exactly. And I'm pleased for you that you are figuring that out for yourself. Yeah, exactly. So so when we talk about sex, why is it that we only focus on the pleasure side of things and not really the emotional side or even um, consent? Because there's so many different forms of consent that people don't understand. Of course, when you want to have sex, you want to focus on getting the pleasure, giving your partner pleasure. But there is so many different things about sex that we don't pay attention to. So why do you think it's the only pleasure side of things that we focus on? So this is another really big question. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just I love big focus, questions. <laughs> I'm going to focus on one one portion of it, which is that... Um, In the sex education that we get, and not everyone gets sex education. Some people get abstinence-only education, which is not sex education. Yeah, (laughs) Some people don't get anything. And then some people get what we call sex education, but which is really pregnancy prevention and disease prevention. It has very little to do with um, communication, consent, pleasure, like all of that stuff is like how to have a healthy relationship, not touched on (laughs) in sex education usually. But here is what we do here in sex education. Boys get erections, have wet dreams and ejaculate. Girls get periods and suffer. (laughs) (laughs) That is it. That's basically what we hear. Which, so almost by default, all of the conversation in our culture about sexual pleasure is focused on the man's sexual pleasure. How do we give pleasure to him? How do, and again, this is a very heterosexual based conversation. Um, So it completely leaves queer people out. But even just from a a heterosexual point of view, how do we give pleasure to our partner? How do we make sure that um, we give them everything that they need? How do we make sure that they ejaculate? How, if they don't, if they can't get it up and keep it up, then what are we doing wrong? Like all of it is focused on this one six inch appendage (laughs) on the (laughs) other person's body. (laughs) And almost never, is the focus on what do I need? Yeah. What will I enjoy? How does my body want to feel? So when we're focused entirely on the other person and making sure that they get what they need, we're not able to focus on ourselves. What I call it is performing pleasure because mm-hmm. very often women in the bedroom will think, I want my partner, again, totally heterosexual focus in this moment. I want my male partner to have pleasure and to get it up and keep it up and have an ejaculation. And I know that part of what he enjoys is seeing me writhe and moan. So I am going to writhe and moan for his pleasure, Yeah, which is the performance aspect. When you're performing, you're not actually feeling. Yeah. You're doing it for somebody else. So yeah, maybe we have conversations about pleasure, but honestly, think about where those conversations are focused. They are rarely 
focused on how can I experience more pleasure? They're usually focused on how can I get what I need without upsetting my partner? You know, so frequently I get questions from clients about how can I talk to my partner about this thing that I want them to do a little bit differently without emasculating them, without upsetting them, without making them feel bad. Why is it that we think that in order to get what we need, we have to make our other person feel bad? It's like a zero-sum relationship, you know? In order for me to get more pleasure, the other person has to feel bad. That's ridiculous. (laughs) 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 The, The actual mathematics of pleasure are that when I'm feeling more pleasure, I am going to do more of those things, the writhing and the moaning and the, you know, can't keep my hands off of you. I'm going to do more of those things that give my partner more pleasure. Therefore, when I have more pleasure, both of us have more pleasure. That's the actual mathematics. But we are so focused on this zero sum equation that Rarely do people ask the right questions. So that's where I hope that I can be useful is in helping people to start asking the right questions so that they can get the kind of pleasure they want and their partner gets more pleasure too. Exactly. And I've been saying that this, the, the particular dynamic that I was describing was a heterosexual one, but I want to be really clear that this happens in all kinds of relationships, regardless of the genders involved. Yeah. I just feel like heterosexual women have, they feel like they need to um, stick to society's kind of perception of what a woman is, yes, especially heterosexual women. So I feel like yeah. in terms of that, they receive a lot of pressure um, but of course, this sort of power dynamic doesn't just exist in heterosexual relationships. It exists in pretty much every single sexual relationship. But I feel like because women are always, heterosexual women again, um, are always feeling like they can only get pleasure from their partner or that they have to give pleasure to their partner, things like masturbation just goes out the window. Like so many women are so... Mm weirded out by the fact that you can give pleasure to yourself and yeah that's just something I haven't really understood over the years but I know that it's a major problem for so many women especially single women who feel like the only way that they can actually experience um, their sexuality in a good way is through having sex with another person absolutely yeah I think that there's a very While this is no longer just an issue for people who come from religious backgrounds, this is based in a religious context, which the religious story, I am not somebody who knows the Bible very well, but I would be hard pressed to believe that this actually shows up in the Bible. (laughs) But the, the story that is told by people who say that they follow the Bible is that the only reason for sex is procreation. Yeah. Now men get to have pleasure through the ejaculation and for some reason that's okay, (laughs) (laughs) but that women's only job 
is to procreate and to be the vessel that brings forth the next generation. So women's pleasure is not in there at all. Therefore, women's bodies are only to be experienced through the conjugation. I don't know if that's the right word, but through coming together with a male partner, which means, and then there's also all of this religious teaching about, you know, masturbation is bad. You'll go blind. You'll get hairy palms, yeah. whatever. <laughs> So again, that's not, that is mostly taught in the religious communities, but those messages filter out into, I did not grow up in a religious home, but I heard all of that stuff and I believed a lot of it. (laughs) So, (laughs) so yeah, masturbation is a really tricky subject for a lot of women believing that they're nasty if they do it, believing that it's dirty, believing that it's not okay. Yeah. Or on the other side, if they do it, believing that they do it too much, <laughs> like that they're getting too much out of it. Yeah. And there's also this idea that masturbation is like a gateway drug to, <laughs> to having promiscuous <laughs> sex, which is so weird wow. to me. <laughs> like, there's just a lot of really <laughs> funky messages out there about masturbation, most of which have no basis in reality whatsoever yeah exactly and again i blame the internet for it there's so many different articles if you they'll give a whole list of like pros and cons to masturbation um yeah it's just yeah there are no cons (laughs) again i wonder who wrote that (laughs) it's really it's it's healthy it's normal if you're someone who hasn't had sex yet or hasn't had good sex yet masturbation can help you get in touch with what your body really enjoys, exactly. which is incredibly helpful information to have for when you do engage with a partner. And then you can tell them, hey, here's what I enjoy. Exactly. Like, here's what will give me pleasure. Yeah, There is no chance of contracting STIs or getting pregnant when you're <laughs> masturbating. It is the best way You're forward. so much good about masturbation. <laughs> yeah, literally. I say it's the best way forward, especially in a pandemic. It's like, Oh, totally. (laughs) (laughs) There are no risks. Yeah. I want to talk about motherhood and sexuality. So you released an episode recently, podcast, about how your sex life changed after giving birth. Do you feel like mothers tend to focus less on their sexual needs or just completely abandon them after having children? I have seen this in my family, my relatives. Mm. It's as if once they've had the children that's it. You just go about living a sexless life, really. So do you feel like that's a problem Mm. for so many mothers? Yeah. So just to, just to clarify, I was answering another woman's question about her sex drive after having had children. I myself have not had children. Okay. Um, But I talk with a lot of mothers of young children. This is sort of one of the base demographics of my business. The answer to this is a little bit more complicated than people would think. The general belief is once a woman has had children, she's so invested in the children that she just has no energy and no interest left in sex. I would say to you, based on the conversations I've had, the extensive conversations I've had, that is 100% not true. The issue is that when a mother, let's assume that the mother is the primary caregiver, when the mother is a feeding station for her child, 
when her body is a jungle gym for her child, when her child needs constant attention and supervision and care and hugs and touch, all of that, which is completely necessary for a child to have a really healthy development, that mother is putting out so much energy toward the child that there is very little left when it comes to the partner. Mm -hmm. And now the partner comes in, assuming that this partner is not a primary caregiver, but maybe they're you know, still working and they come home from work and they're like, Hey honey, let's get it on. (laughs) Almost like backup buster. (laughs) Like I don't have anything left. And that leaves the non-primary caregiver feeling like, Hey, what happened? It used to be that you had all of this energy attention for me. And now it's all going to the kid. Mm -hmm. And I feel left out. I feel like you don't care about me anymore. I feel like I'm second place, all of those things. And then resentment starts to build for the other partner. And then the mother or the primary caregiver feels like, I'm not getting my needs met because I'm constantly putting out all this energy and you're still making demands on me. So that resentment begins to build. And what happens is just this like level upon level upon level of not talking, not communicating, resentment, feeling left behind, feeling not taken care of. And when that doesn't get dealt with in those first couple of years of the child's life, it can grow and expand to the point that by the time the child is eight or 10 or 12, you're in a sexless marriage because there's all of this resentment that never got handled way back when. The issue here is not that women don't want to have sex. The issue is that they don't want to continue having the same kind of sex that they've had in the past, the kind of sex that requires them to put out a ton of energy and a ton of all of my attention is going on to you, my partner, the kind of touch and intimacy and sex they need to be having at this point is the kind that nurtures them, the kind that takes care I need you to just touch me and to really take care of my needs because right now all of my energy is being spent on our children. I need somebody to now spend that kind of time and care and attention on me. And when you fill my cup in that way, then I have more to give everybody. Instead of when you come in and demand my attention to be given to you, I have less. I have nothing left to give. So again, we're we're talking about a zero-sum equation. Instead of thinking, how can we have sex in this situation that lifts us both up yeah. and gives all everybody's needs taken care of? But if if you're a person who's taking care of children as the primary caregiver. And let me say, this is not just about women being the primary caregiver. I've heard the same story when men are the primary caregiver. So this is really a question of who's putting all of their energy out to the children Mm -hmm. and who then needs to have their cup refilled. If you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be in terms of sexuality? 
<laughs> oh Lord, so many things. <laughs> Just pick one. If I could tell my younger self one thing, it would be to not believe her father, to not believe the voice. And it was not just my dad, but he was the loudest voice to not believe the voices that said that I was broken, that there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't lovable, that I wasn't thin enough, that I wasn't pretty enough. It would be to really block out those voices and to pay attention to what fed me. What did I want? what felt safe and good and right to me. Now I say all those things with the understanding that my younger self probably couldn't have heard them because she wasn't ready. If I hadn't believed all those things for all those years, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now because I wouldn't have gotten into all of the messes that I got into and feel so passionate about helping other women to not go there. or to get out of them themselves. So yeah, I wish that I had had more of a sense of self, but I also recognize that this was my path. Thank you so much, Leah, for coming on the show and talking to me. Seriously, it's been part of my to-do list to talk to a sexuality expert and kind of just have that sort of (laughs) free-flowing, no-filter conversation where I can talk about absolutely everything that I want to talk about and not be feeling like, you know, I'll be judged as well. And thank you so much for inspiring so many Mm -hmm. women to finally come to terms with their own bodies and to prioritize their needs. It's, It's just amazing. So thank you so much for your work. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm honored to be here and we can have these conversations whenever you need to. (laughs) i had this conversation with leia back in november and since it's women's month i decided now was a good time to release a conversation this episode is fairly different to what i usually release however when we talk about community healing we automatically include the prioritization of women's sexual health and sexual rights most importantly, how women can better practice their sexual rights and freedoms to minimize or even eliminate the number of women within sex-negative relationships and in extreme cases, in abusive relationships. This episode is really 21-year-old me asking all the big questions I have around sexuality that I wanted to discuss with a professional coach. So I'm very happy to have this candid conversation and really hope that this can inspire women to feel more comfortable in prioritizing their sexual needs and seeking professional help when they want. If you enjoy Mindful of Everything, please give the podcast a five-star podcast review. Connect with me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and visit mindfuloveverything.com for additional resources for every single episode. I hope each and every one of you are protecting your mental and physical health in these difficult times, along with the health and happiness of your loved ones. I will be taking a small break from Mindful of Everything during the final month of my final year at university, and hope to be back here again in May. More information on this will be released shortly on my social media pages. Until then... Please continue listening to past episodes and sharing the podcast with your friends and family.